Our past two years of gardening have taught us how little we know, but we're about to get a crash course. So hopefully things will be different in the future. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of Thursday, August 26th, 2010. We had our orientation session for Master Gardener Tuesday of this week. And we are due to begin classes a week from today. Right. Yeah, I'm excited. And that's the crash course I was talking about. It's I, I say crash because there's a lot of information, I think, that's packed into the roughly how many weeks we go from September through December of instruction, weekly instruction. Four hours every week yeah. uh, in class. The concept of Master Gardener is a little elusive. I know the first time I heard someone was a master gardener, I didn't think it meant, oh, this person has gone to classes and has done some service. I thought it was like an honor. You you were awarded master gardener status because you showed you were such a brilliant, competent gardener. That's what I thought, too. And that is not the case. What master gardener means is you've gone to class a lot and you've done some public service, um, I think we can say with confidence that the people who are in the program with us seem to be genuinely nice folks. Oh, yeah, they're great. And, you know, not to um, spend a lot of time with the background, but I never realized, for example, that Master Gardener was a direct extension of the extension services that came through uh, to the, from land-grant universities to the various states. And the idea that's 37 years old now is these master gardeners can serve as multipliers to the expertise of the extension agent. Right. And, of course, that's doubly important now because so many states, including ours here in Alabama, are cutting back their professional staffing of the extension office. So it becomes even more helpful to have folks like master gardeners who can be the eyes and ears of the extension agent who can get information from the extension agent and then in turn share that with the public. Right, right. And part of what we do is the service requirement you were mentioning. We have to do 40 hours of community service to complete our certification. And in addition to that, 10 hours of uh, manning the Master Gardener hotline, a phone phone in um, situation. And we've already discovered something about that Master Gardener hotline. I thought the concept was a little flaky the first time I heard about it. The idea that you would have people who had simply taken some classes providing information to folks when they called in. But it turns out that's not quite accurate. What really happens when you call the Master Gardener hotline is, unless it's an extremely simple question, the master gardener at the other end of the line is going to tell you, okay, let me check and I will call you back. And what that master gardener is going to do before they call you back is to check the available sources of information. And then if they have any questions, they'll run it by somebody who's more knowledgeable than they are before they get back to you. So you're going to get good information, 
although you may not get it right away. Right. But the idea is the master gardeners volunteer their time so that they can, in a sense, be a liaison between the extension agent and a help to the extension agent and then uh, between that and the public. So yes. That's what we're and doing. I, I think what's interesting to us is it tends to be a self-selected group. These tend to be people who enjoy helping other people. If you if you just want to be the smartest, fastest gardener going, you can probably learn more from reading a bunch of books. Right. But the people who have signed up for Master Gardener, and in particular those who successfully completed, and we certainly hope that we are among them, are the kind of folk who really enjoy helping other people, which... Yeah, it's which kind of fun. Then they're good people to know. And, you know, we're relatively new to the community here, so we thought it would be a great chance to network with some other gardeners. And you already bet. we've learned a lot just from talking to those people at and the, the orientation. orientation session. I agree. We, we have already learned a lot and expect to learn much, much more. However, there is a downside to this. We learned in the orientation session from Mallory Kelly, the extension agent who will be teaching us, and she is very upfront about this. She really doesn't know much about organic and doesn't plan to learn a lot anytime soon. Well, it's not that she doesn't want to learn it, but she is saying uh, because it is a direct extension of information from the land-grant university, which in our case is Auburn University, that a lot of their research has not focused on organic. There's just not a lot of research-based information uh, at her fingertips. So yes. um, that, but but the good news is, not to rain on, or not to, you know, refute what you're saying, but there are several people in our class who want to be organic as we do, and, and that's the hopeful sign. And I will also say in Mallory's defense, I probably spoke too soon when I say she doesn't intend to learn about organic. I think she is genuinely interested in learning more about it. But as you say, the, she perceives at least that the information sources available to her are somewhat limited. And you know, we can have a nice long conversation about why that is the case. My explanation would be that most research in land-grant universities, particularly here in the southeast, tends to be funded by chemical companies who have an axe to grind. They have an agenda, and they want research that they can use to sell their product to farmers. Um, and what we desperately need is to have research funded by more objective sources that would be focused on what folks like you and I can do. Right. And we hope that that will be happening over the, over the next few years. It's just that a lot of the funding sources, because it takes money, uh, you know, people like us and people who are into organic tend not to be the, the wealthiest ones around. So <laughs> yeah, the funding's coming from Monsanto or someplace. I don't know. I really speak out of turn because I don't know where it's coming oh, from. Oh, no. Go ahead and speak. You can say <laughs> Monsanto and other evil empires around the, the world. Whoever produces seven, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that is a good point. Everybody we talk to says, oh, you can solve that problem with seven. Somebody must be making a whole lot of money selling seven. I think it kills just about anything. So yeah. That's probably sort of like why. Agent Orange or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we got some bumpiness going on out there on Veg Hill. I Good noticed. kind of bumpiness. Tell us yeah. about what you found. Well, some of our sweet potatoes were just rising up out of the ground, 
and uh, sort of like Lazarus, but except they're alive. They're very much alive. And so I harvested about five of them yesterday. <laughs> it was actually, I think your harvest so far, which is just scratching the surface. I mean, oh, there's, it is. there's a whole lot more under there. You can there, tell, yeah, yeah. Um, is greater than our entire sweet potato harvest last year. Uh, so we're real excited about what you found. Right. Um, our sweet potatoes, as we read, need to be, uh, they take between 100 and 140 days to mature. Uh, that would be between July the 28th and September the 9th. So we're right there in the middle of it. And uh, I hope and expect we will be harvesting more sweet potatoes in the days ahead. I, I guess so what we're doing right now is we're not digging up anything. We're just waiting to see those bumps on the surface. Yeah, and then I'm and grabbing those. And as you those. see a bump on the surface, mm -hmm. you yeah. pick it up. But by the end of September, I guess we'll get the old shovel out and dig up the rest of them. Um, at least by um, late October. Late October. Yeah, we want to be sure we don't get into a frost right. before they. Yeah, that, that's them. that's the one hard constraint is you've got to get them out of the ground before the first frost, which in our area is the middle of November. So I think we've got plenty of time, and we'll probably end up harvesting them well before then. The other thing that we did this week was worked. You worked on the muscadine trellis. Uh, I know you had mentioned your intention about that last week. So That's right. Our, I, I think when we talked last week, it was a we hope to, we plan to kind of thing. And now it's a fait accompli. <laughs> now it's done. And it feels great to have it done, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got some real strength in the muscadine trellis now, and uh, there's a little post about it on the site. So if you're interested in learning more about what we did and how it works and so forth, you can go there and see it in, in action, as it were. However... Um, we are well, well in advance of the kind of weight from the muscadines yeah. that would require that kind of strength. We're, we're basically building in advance of the need because we figured out if the longer we waited, the more traumatic it would be. Right. And um, just the other day we were talking, I guess it was to your brother Ruffin and our sister-in-law Kathy, that... Um, we could actually add more muscadines than we had originally planned. To yeah, we were looking strip. at that. We have places that we had thought were designated for three more muscadines. And now in looking at it, we're thinking we may be able to squeeze a fourth and a fifth in there. Which would be really nice. That would be nice. Yeah. And we've talked to Jason Powell at Petals from the Past about what type of muscadine to put in there. So I think we could we could benefit from that. If we plant those that were as sweet as they tasted last time those we visited. Those black beauty muscadines. Yeah. Oh, boy, were they scrumptious. So we'll, uh, we'll be looking into that. Uh, speaking of other plants that we uh, will be adding to, what about the blueberries? You did some good for the blueberry strip the other day. Well, we've, we've got this strip we call the blueberry strip that's just north of the barn and is rather steep in its incline. We had to do it that way so we could have a nice flat surface for the pole barn here. And what we've discovered is that that water comes down the hill and it hits that blueberry strip and just really speeds up. And we were we had it more or less under control and then I started trenching for the drip lines and so forth. And in the process of trenching for the drip lines, I opened up a couple of new ditches and 
loosened the soil, and we were developing fresh ruts. So um, what I did this week was to get out with some, some of our topsoil, this super soil from Froggy Bottom, spread it out in the ruts, and get it nice and packed, and then cover that with regular old hay. And what we've learned about hay, which is interesting, is that it's just riddled with pasture grass seed. We don't know what kind, and frankly, I don't care at this point. We just want something to grow that will hold the soil. So that's been spread out, and it looks pretty good, so we'll see what happens. And we have been careful to keep it watered these last mm -hmm. few days because it's been real dry here. Which has been welcome. We've actually had a little lower humidity than usual, and the temperature has slightly dropped. It is so much nice. nicer, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. nicer to, to sleep at night. It feels better to work out on um, outside. Um, just a all-around positive development to see this slightly cooler and less humid weather. Well, you've been working this morning on tomatoes. Right. We, we have, had decided a couple of weeks ago that we wanted to, here at the end of the season, uh, buy some quantities, since we're not producing quantities of uh, veg this year as much as we'd like out on Veg Hill, we wanted to buy from some local farmers markets some quantities of vegetables that we could put up for the winter. Uh, specifically freezing it, if we could, freezing. And so um, we went to the Tallahassee Farmer's Market pat this past Saturday, and uh, there were some people who had been farming on Dozier Farms down near Montgomery, and um, they told us this is our last Saturday to be here because we're basically, this is all we produced. We don't have anything else and to sell. we looked at their box of tomatoes, and said, could we buy the rest of that? And I should add, the Roma, they were Roma tomatoes, oblong, uh, really pretty. And I used some in a squash casserole yesterday, and they were delicious. So um, we bought the rest of their inventory, which they charged us only $10 for that. And I couldn't estimate yeah, what that is. It wasn't a bushel, but it was a big box full. And uh, we um, let them ripen, wash them, let them dry completely put them on baking sheets in the freezer overnight and then pull them out and put them separately in Ziploc, gallon Ziploc bags. And it filled up three gallon Ziplocs, the quantity that we have. So we're ready for sauce making and marinara making and uh, camp stew making this winter. And the those. reason you've done it this way, you read somewhere, and I think it makes a lot of sense, who wants to peel and cook tomatoes here in the height of the summertime and what you read is you can just freeze them peel on yes here in the hot weather and then we'll pull them out and peel them if necessary may not be necessary to peel everything them at all. i've read is that uh you run them under some hot water and that peeling will slip right off right and then actually the process of cooking that and standing over a hot pot and cooking those tomatoes in the wintertime is quite pleasant. Exactly. So we will be able to enjoy cooking in the wintertime, and uh, I'm not sure we'll need to do any peeling of the tomatoes. I don't think we so. We like peeling. So um, It is, and it's optional to, you can, you can actually freeze tomatoes with the peeling off. If you're one of those people who really hates the peeling on a tomato, go ahead and peel them and then freeze them. But this way, it was very simple for us to do it, and uh, since we have a lot of outdoor activities right now keeping us busy, this time of the year, uh, we want to minimize the time that we have to stay in here preparing food. 
And, you know, just a, one more thought about this idea of peeling. I know that had we tried to peel those tomatoes, we would find them very messy and juicy and so forth. We would have lost a lot of the tomato, I'm afraid, too. Yeah, these were not juicy. It's You know, they're well contained within the peeling, so it's just a, a nice, neat process, yeah. actually. Yeah, it was really, really very simple, so I would recommend that to anyone. And uh, during the wintertime, when we pull our first bag out and make something, we'll report on how well it held up. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, I would love, and I don't know whether we're going to have enough time, but maybe you can just give us a brief review of all that you've done on row six, which is the heart of our fall garden. Well, it shouldn't take long. There's not really a lot, uh, uh, not a lot of different things. The first thing I planted <clears throat> about two weeks ago uh, were broccoli, two, two different kinds of broccoli and some kohlrabi. So far, nothing's really emerging, although I see a little green every now and then around the kohlrabi. Um, and I've decided if the broccoli doesn't come up, I'm going to plant something else there uh, on top of that. Then I planted some dragon carrot and rutabaga and then some parsnips. And then yesterday, I took my uh, cabbage transplants that I had started from seed in containers, and I put those in the ground. So basically, that's what's there now. All right. And your plans for the future, assuming the broccoli doesn't come up? Well, whether it does or not, uh, lettuces, I have already have some seeds for lettuce and uh, some um, spinach and that sort of thing and uh, mustard, you know, other greens. And then I plan to buy some plants for maybe some more broccoli and uh, Brussels, sprouts, Brussels sprouts, if I can find it, mm. and onion sets. Okay. So that's mostly it. And, and you never know. I might find something even more exotic, but we'll see. Whatever I have room for. <laughs> I was reading this morning about daikon radishes, which they say need 60 days to maturity. Mm. So we're getting fairly close to the last possible planting date for daikon radishes for a fall growing season. Um so I'm going to be looking around, and I'm sure you'll be helping me figure out where we can put daikon radishes. Absolutely. Um, just a little thought about uh, what I did yesterday while you were planting down on Veg Hill. We have a new trail that connects the lodge site to the barn. Our hope has been that um, the kids, the grandchildren, we, there's only one grandchild now, but we Smith, expect, our sweet we expect Smith. he won't be our only, um, that their grandchildren can pass freely from the lodge to the barn when their parents are staying in the lodge. And we wanted to give them a nice, fun trail to use to do that. So I was working on that yesterday. Right. So, um, it, and it looks very nice. We'll have to just work on keeping it maintained over the years. True. It'll probably need to be maintained on a regular basis, but that'll be part of the fun of it. Right. Well, that's about all the time we have today. We hope that this is a good week for you, that you're harvesting something fun. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love Great. to hear from you. You can call the oh, farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. 
You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.